0: Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast, Episode 304, Mistakes Were Made, Men Died. Last time, after the 7th Armored Brigade and the 38th Chinese Division crossed the Ava Bridge, just southwest of Mandalay, the Irrawaddy River spanning structure was destroyed at midnight on April 30th. For the moment, General Slim's men and the Chinese forces under General Stilwell, operating in this same area, were safe. However, their retreat had really only just begun. There were still some 150 miles to go before they would deem themselves relatively safe in India. Further, it was only a matter of time before the pursuing Japanese 18th Division, hard on Slim's heels, found their own way across and other Japanese divisions were advancing as well. The Great Allied Retreat was far from over. This assessment also included the 1st Burma Division, which had crossed more to the west of Mandalay using ferries. Fortunately, the enemy did not pursue the Allied troops here while using the slower transportation. However, Japanese air attacks kept the men on their toes, the first Burma was grateful for the reprieve, but then headed out. The 1st Burma Division would travel west and then turn north, making for the town of Monewa, about 65 miles or 104 kilometers west by northwest of Mandalay. The rest of Burma Corps would head, more or less, directly northwest, about 75 kilometers or 46 miles to Ye'u, which would put them about 50 kilometers north of Moniwa. After that, they would head another 20 miles northwest until they reached Kaduma, modern day Taz. With that village passed, Slim and his would be heading into thick jungle, with a path more than a road waiting for them, which mattered little as, one, the Japanese were sure to push hard on their own left flank to cut off any retreat to India, and, two, the monsoons were expected to start on May twentieth, which gave all of Burma Corps just under three weeks to get to India. After that, and probably even before, those dry riverbeds, now being used as roads, would become roaring rivers, which would mean that the Allied troops might not make it out at all, as their equipment surely would not. This route would have Slim's forces traveling northwest until they reached Shwegyen, a town on the Chinwin River. From there, they would have to take steamers upriver for about six miles until they reached Kalewa. That settlement had a road of sorts on the western bank that would be used to reach the Indian border. Of course, there was still the malaria-infested Kabwa Valley to get through, but it was hoped after that, the enemy would be left behind. But when was the last time the Japanese did as they were expected, or moved slower than desired? Slim could not remember. Besides which, Slim seriously doubted that he would make good his escape with any of his vehicles or heavy equipment. But, as it was imperative to save as much as he could, the innovative Brit ordered a reconnaissance party, plus engineers, to move out ahead to test the path they would all soon be taking. To determine if he would have to rid himself of his vehicles before too long, Slim also sent out one tank, one truck, one anti-aircraft gun, and one single armored car on ahead. If those vehicles could make it, then his invaluable motorized transportation should be able to as well, if the rains did not come any earlier. Then came more potentially good news for Burma Corps. First, Burma Army Headquarters, set up in India, was heading into the expected path of Slim's forces, leaving behind medicine and water. And HQ India itself was supposedly cutting a road between Imphal and the Chinwin River. No one was expecting miracles, but as the last few days of the journey might end up with the troops running, either from the Japanese or the ever-deepening rivers, it was appreciated. As Slim and his staff watched their men go by, all agreed that having the Chinese 38th Division with them had worked out well thus far. The 38th, with British tanks and artillery, had given the Japanese 33rd Division a thumping, and not once had General Sun and his men complained to Slim. The reason for this, Slim guessed, was that Sun's men probably never had such real support since joining the Chinese army. As for the Chinese 22nd Division, also walking with the 17th Indian Division and the 7th Armored Brigade, they were in much worse shape, having been mauled more than once by the enemy. But now they seem to be rebuilding their spirits, finally, again, having real allies. But all these potentially good indications should have made Slim suspicious, because before they had gone too far, General Joseph Stilwell contacted Slim and asked for his Chinese troops back. Well, not so much asked as demanded, as the American had already spoken to overall commander Harold Alexander, who agreed. Stilwell was not trying to be difficult. The scattered Chinese forces... His forces were still being hounded, even as they retreated, because the Japanese were still pushing north in the country's east to reach beyond Lashio. The Chinese 38th was in a fighting mood and wanted to help their fellow countrymen, but openly told the British that they would miss working with them. As for the 22nd Division, well, they were coming around. Besides, it was always good to have numbers in a fight. Perhaps because of the weakened 22nd Division, it was decided that the 7th Armored Brigade would also go to help the Chinese forces. But Brigadier Anstis was told the duration of this mission would be short, to be ready to catch up to Slim at any moment. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all you've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio, with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing, it's all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. On April 30th, when the last of the 1st Burma Division had crossed the Ava Bridge, General Slim was already just north of Monewa along the Chinwin River. As the town was relatively small and still peaceful, with a monastery nearby, which Slim was using as a headquarters, he had only posted in Monewa a detachment of Gloucestershire's, a few Royal Marines, and some sappers. As 1st Burma Divisional Headquarters was about four miles south of Monewa, with two of its brigades, the 1st and 13th, still further south, but coming up the road as fast as they could, Slim did not expect any trouble near his location, and in this moment he underestimated his enemy. A mistake to be sure, but perhaps the enemy would not take advantage of it. But then Slim made his second mistake. As soon as the 1st and 13th reached Monewa, he was going to have one of them cross the Chinwin River there to guard the next part of their exit route. Currently, the 2nd Brigade of the 1st Burma was just across the river. But Slim was anxious to send them further northwest, as he had received reports of Burmese guerrilla activity. The last thing he needed was to have his waiting supplies found and carted away. However, Slim was then reminded that the 2nd Burma Brigade on the West Bank had already left, as they had been ordered to move out the night of April 28th. Slim thought about this and then figured all would turn out well as the other two Burma brigades were on their way. At most, there would be a gap of 24 hours, with no Allied troops on the west bank of the Chinwin at Monewa. As Slim and most of his staff had their rather slim meal, again about four miles north of Monewa, a staff officer from Army headquarters had stopped by. Between Slim's lack of everything... The idea of losing his Chinese allies, and at times having to communicate through the radios of his tanks, he laid into the staff officer about all his troubles. Most of this can be attributed to sinking morale while on the retreat, and a lack of sleep and hunger. Which was all true enough. But the general then ended his unplanned tirade with, And you can tell Army HQ that! Just then, one of Slim's men, with incredibly bad timing, walked up. Slim eyed the man, saying, And what do you want? The messenger replied, The Japs have taken Monewa, and if you listen, you can hear them mortaring. Sure enough, the crowd went silent. Within seconds, the whoop, whoop, whoop could be heard. Then one of Slim's men turned to the visiting staff officer and said, And you can tell Army Headquarters that camaraderie was currently non-existent, as Burma Corps was tired of fighting for its life. This double rebuke emanated from fear, fatigue, and failure to hold Burma. But at the moment, the Japanese action shook Slim and his much more than their visitor. He was about to leave and head back to India. Slim had to figure out how to deal with this enemy now in his midst. Should all his forces still south of Monewa be held up, it would not be long before the remainder of enemy forces were in the area, and as bad as the retreat had been thus far, it was far preferable to a major battle against superior forces, while one's back was to a major river. Slim guessed correctly, and began beating himself up, that he had left his guard down. With no troops on the west bank, the Japanese were able to use barges to come upriver and drop men off near Monewa. While he had been fighting with one of Alexander's men, who was powerless to change the frightful situation, the real enemy seemed about to instigate another time-consuming battle. Putting aside his anger at himself, Slim would certainly make time later to reproach himself for this lapse in judgment. The British officer started issuing commands. First, a small force would approach Moniwa to confirm that the small Commonwealth force had truly lost the town. Next, he asked himself, what forces are close to hand? The answer was the paltry platoon of Burma rifles that was protecting Major General Bruce Scott's headquarters south of Monewa, who were now just as vulnerable as him, given their lack of defense and the enemy's proximity. Next, Slim had his staff gather up whatever forces were nearby. This turned out to be some Cameronians of a Burma Frontier Force detachment and some Burma-mounted police, about 300 men in total. Slim told Lieutenant Colonel Thomas of the Cameronians to head south and keep any other Japanese forces rushing north in check for as long as he could. To this command, Thomas, who, like all of Slim's officers, had gotten used to doing the impossible with meager means, simply nodded, saluted, and walked away. Another miracle was coming up. Hopefully. Meanwhile, The 1st and 13th Brigades were ordered to double-time it to Chenggu, about 15 miles south of Monewa. There, they were to wait for the 63rd Brigade of the 17th Indian Division. That brigade was put aboard a train and rushed north. Once the three brigades were together, this force was to rush north and retake Monewa. But Slim, still mad at himself, wasn't taking any more chances. What else was the enemy going to send upriver? He asked Alexander if he could take back some of the tanks that had recently been sent to help the Chinese. Slim could only guess how Stilwell would react to this, but if the majority of Burma Corps was defeated or trapped in Burma when the monsoons came, well, Stilwell would have to find a way to retake the country on his own or, together with Slim only after a new force had been sent to him, and trained, and how many months would that take? Alexander, thankfully, ordered two squadrons of tanks to turn around. One was to be sent to Ye'u, to the north of Moniwa, to make sure the enemy did not pull another surprise there, while the second one would help the three brigades attack the Japanese in the town itself. With his orders issued, Slim then started... The next phase, the hardest phase of his job, he waited. By the time he went to bed, his staff had packed everything up and loaded it onto their vehicles. Next, the men were told to sleep on the ground next to their trucks. If the Japanese came north from Moniwa, his men would not stand a chance in a fight. Then again, neither would Major General Scott, the commander of First Burma, if the enemy went south. Waiting truly was the hardest part. As Slim settled down in the monastery, he split his time between trying to sleep and beating himself up for this mistake that could cost him the majority of Burma Corps. Nothing for it now, but to see how it all played out. The question was, had the enemy really taken Monewa, and would they head north or south? With Slim lying on the abbot's bed, his Burmese defense platoon was on duty. But not trusting them, a few British clerks were told, no sleep for you tonight, as they were scattered among the Burmese. In truth, Slim had, up until recently, a lot more Burmese troops, but each morning there seemed to be fewer of them. In fact, within the next few days, they would all desert during the night. The truth of the matter was that the Japanese had not taken Monewa. They had come upriver, but instead of attacking the town directly, they placed one of their formidable roadblocks south of the town, but just above 1st Burma's headquarters. But this was not a reprieve for the Allies. With their roadblock established and no Allied troops on the West Bank, more Japanese and Burma troops were being sent upriver. And at 5 a.m. on May 1st, this larger force attacked 1st Burma Headquarters. Major General Scott had his Indian engineers, staff officers, and Indian and British clerks grab their weapons and form a line. The good news was that the three brigades coming together were south of these headquarters, so Scott had his force fight as they walked down the road. The question was, would any of them still be alive by the time they reached the much larger force coming north. The attacking Japanese officers wisely used their Burmese auxiliaries as distractions, sending them against the defenders in mad charges, while the Japanese themselves approached in a more methodical way. Scott, not having the time or men to deploy anything equally elaborate, simply had his men shoot as they retreated. However, numbers tell, and soon Scott's men began to fall. First, all equipment was abandoned, and then all supplies were left behind, as the fighting never let up. Men all around Scott continued to fall. The wounded were carried, which meant fewer men were now shooting back at the attackers. But as the situation truly became dire, Scott ordered everything to be left behind, except ciphers and certain secret papers. In time, what was left of the 1st Burma Security Force reached the area where the three brigades were to meet up, and, knowing Slim's expectations, began to set up Divisional HQ once again, meager as it was. Of course, what none of them knew was that the real attack was about to get underway. and ferried about 700 troops from the West Bank to the East Bank, with no resistance. This force had been on the march for days, hoping to cut off the Allied retreat. And now, because of Slim's mistake, they seemed to have the perfect opportunity. To be sure, the small British force at Monewa saw the launches approach and opened fire. But the reply was so much more intense, causing the defenders in the village to back down. The large Japanese force crossed over, pushed the British back, and took the town. Meanwhile, the 3rd Brigade, the 63rd, that was to meet up with the 1st and 13th, had offloaded from a train about eight miles away from Oniwa that same morning, on the double they made for the meeting place but they were slowed down as Japanese still had troops at the 1st Burma Division's original headquarters location. The 63rd Brigade made short work of this force, but it still took time. Late in the afternoon, the 63rd was met up by a squadron of tanks and the 13th Burma Brigade just a few miles from Monewa. Then the 1st Burma Brigade arrived. As it was late in the day, an attack was planned for the next morning. During that day of May 1st, General Slim was getting, at best, sketchy reports of the events around him. The 1st Burma Divisional Headquarters had been overrun. Moniwa had been lost. And the most ominous, the numerous large Japanese naval barges. And not knowing that the three brigades would successfully meet up, And not wanting to make another mistake that would needlessly get more men killed, Slim ordered his headquarters staff to make for Ye'u about 20 miles to the north by northeast. Slim and a few of his officers stayed behind. At Ye'u, Generals Alexander and Stilwell were comparing notes, deciding their next course of action. As Monewa had been lost, Alexander ordered a general withdrawal from that area. Further, he ordered the rest of 7th Armored Brigade back from the Chinese. As for the 17th Indian Division, it, besides one of the brigades that was helping attack Monewa, was also ordered to Ye'u. Losing the tank support, General Stilwell ordered the Chinese 30th Division and what remained of the battered Chinese 5th Army, to make for Katha, about 170 kilometers north by northeast of Ye'u. This location would allow them to make for China or India, depending on the situation, when they arrived. Slim was hoping they would turn west and regroup with his force. As the sun rose on May 2nd, the three United Brigades attacked the Japanese forces at Monewa. Rather, two brigades went in, with the third held back in reserve. On paper, the British-led force had 15,000 men, but in reality, all three brigades had enough men to fully staff only one brigade, so some 5,000 men. With this comparatively paltry number, combined with the stubborn resistance of the Japanese, the fighting quickly became fierce and stayed that way, all throughout the day. The train station alone changed hands three times. Still, by 3 p.m., the attackers had much of the town under control. Then came another mistake, the third of this period. As communications had been sketchy, at best, for the last few days, passing messages along by tank radio had become the norm. Soon, 13th Brigade received a message an order, really, to retreat north of the town. 13th Brigade did their best to confirm this, but in time the message went out to the two attacking brigades. Just as Monewa was about to fall, which would have greatly helped them escape to India, the combatants pulled back and headed north. Only much later would this message be labeled as false. It was supposed that the Japanese forces that had overrun the first Burma headquarters got their hands on some codes, and they were the ones that sent the message. But at the time, this mini-retreat inside a much larger retreat meant there was no time for a proper examination. Overall, though, Slim was not too disappointed with this unexpected withdrawal. By now, most, if not all, of his vehicles were north of Moniwa, Slim ordered them all to Yehu, where most of Burmakor, besides those guarding river crosses, were gathering. With Slim's mistake behind him, except for the lost men and supplies, most of Burmakor began to relax as they slept that night of May 2nd at Yehu. But not Slim, for clearly the Japanese were trying hard to cut off his retreat. Should the enemy take position of Shwagin, Kalewa, or Kalemyo, points still along their route, their only road to India would be cut off. Then it would be a race to see who destroyed Burma Corps first, the enemy or the monsoons. To disrupt the Japanese plan, Slim had the 16th Brigade of the 17th Indian Division head up the road, starting out that very night. Their orders were to place a battalion at each of these locations and to hold them until all of the Allied troops came through. However, at Ye'u, General Alexander ordered Slim himself to stay in the area until the Chinese forces had at least reached Shwebo, about 20 miles to the north. Slim, though he did not say this openly, gladly did this at first his presence would stop the japanese from advancing any further north in this area to harass the chinese and second as he had thousands of refugees following him some europeans and 2000 wounded a few days at the very least would be needed to make all ready sure enough on may 5th what forces were still at yeu some had already been sent on their way to avoid congestion on the pathetic path to India, headed out. Slim was hoping that, with all the road-clearing work being done ahead of the main body, their progress overall would be enough to keep them out of reach of the pursuing enemy. It was the wounded and the civilians who were given what transports were available, but the soldiers, like their commander, were probably thinking who's going to get us first, the enemy, starvation, or the monsoons? For defying the odds against all three was asking a lot of whatever forces controlled the fate of warriors. Still, progress was being made, with speed being the most important factor, which all came to a bloody halt as the various parties reached Shwegyin, further along the Chinwin River. As far as Slim knew, there were six river steamers waiting that could either hold 600 men or a few lorries, guns, or jeeps at a time. Not perfect, but if the men stayed at it, impressive amounts of troops and equipment could be moved upriver, which brought up another point. Their next stop was Kalewa, six miles upriver, or north from Shwegyen. Besides the road, a generous term waiting for them at Kalewa, there was nothing else nearby but a river side path from Shueyian to Kalewa, and Slim did not want his soldiers stretched out that far. No, it would be the steamers. So the various units began to camp themselves around the pier on the east bank. But their troubles were just beginning. When the soldiers who were to go next woke up, they found that the pier had disappeared. Had it been sabotaged during the night? No, it seems that the water had risen enough to conceal it. The monsoons might not have officially arrived yet, but some rains to the north had obviously already made an appearance. That day, May 6th, the waiting troops were ordered to build a new pier, which they did, being highly motivated. Further, knowing this was going to take days, and guessing, rightly, the enemy would put in an appearance, Slim ordered the refugees to start along the riverside path. It wasn't much, but the general liked the idea of putting as much distance between the civilians and the enemy as he could. For were they to show up, having one less helpless group to protect would give the defenders more options. After getting some detailed reports, Slim ordered that only four-wheeled vehicles be sent upstream, along with his men. The heavier tanks, they could wait. Besides, even when this little bit of hell was over, they still had far to go, and the trucks would be much more useful than the tanks. As the next two days went by, some of the steamers did not return from their trip north. Also, some of the local crew disappeared during the night. There was nothing for it, but for those soldiers who had the requisite experience to jump aboard and lend a hand. As the men put their backs into loading guns and trucks onto the remaining steamers, Slim, again knowing this would take days, fortunately got an assist in laying a defensive ring around the embarkation point by Burma Army HQ. First The last 1,500 yards of the road before the pier was in a submerged, rather flat area called the Basin. Around it were 200-foot-high hills, which HQ had sent a force to sit atop to watch out for approaching enemy troops. Next, about two miles downriver or south, HQ had set up a floating boom, a small marine flotilla, and a battalion to watch out for any enemy barges. This pleased Slim, as he would not have to break up his own men, who deserved the right to get out of this shambles of a war for a chance to rest, before coming back to retake what had been lost. The problem was, the basin itself was surrounded by thick jungle, which meant the enemy could march right up to the defensive ring, a rather thin one at that, before anyone knew they were there. Then there was the enemy's air arm who would be tempted by such a target as this gathering, waiting to cross. Again, there was nothing for it but to hope for luck and time. But, sure enough, on May 7th and on the ninth, air attacks were carried out over the waiting troops. Fortunately, few men were hurt as digging slit trenches had become the standing order of the day. As for the trucks that were destroyed... The view of the men manhandling them was, well, there's a few less we have to worry about. For the last few days, Slim himself had been at Kalewa, six miles upriver. He fretted, but tried not to show it. If there was ever a need for a mortal to control time, this was it. But unable to wait any longer, he rode downriver on one of the steamers early on the morning of May 10th. Just as his foot touched the jetty at 5.30 a.m., red tracer bullets flew over his head, followed by rifle shots, machine gun fire, and mortar explosions. General Slim had returned just in time for the Japanese attack on Shwegyin. The shocked corps commander walked as calmly as he could up the path to Brigadier Roger Eakin's brigade headquarters, Eakin had been put in charge of getting the men upstream. The bullets and shells coming in were generally too high to hit slim. Obviously, the fighting was inside the basin, but not yet in this immediate area. Still, each time a shell exploded, he wanted to jump into a slit trench as they were all over the place. But he decided he could not, for how would that look? Walking on, it wasn't long before Slim came across a giant Gurkha hiding behind a little bush. The man was smiling, so Slim asked him what in the hell was he laughing at. This Subedar Major of the 7th Gurkhas, one of the toughest fighting units in the entire war, said, it was funny to see a General Sahib wandering along, not knowing what to do. Slim was about to give the man what for when he realized the Gurkha was right. He did not know what to do. Information was needed. As he walked away, Slim thought about this bizarre moment and later wrote it down for his memoir on the Burma War. He wrote, it is a funny thing how differently the various races react to such a situation. A British soldier would have called out to me to take shelter and would have made room for me beside him. The average Indian sepoy would have watched anxiously but said nothing unless I was hit, when he would have leapt forward and risked his life to get me under cover. A Sikh would have sprung up and with the utmost gallantry dramatically covered me with his own body, thrilled at the chance of an audience. Only a Gurkha would stand up and laugh. Greetings everyone from Central Virginia. So since I haven't done this in a while, I'm going to sneak it in. I just want to thank those who have donated and uh, those who have signed up for membership who are still supporting the the podcast in these trying times, I really do appreciate it. So as far as those who have made donations, some of you I know where you're from. Some of you I do not. I'll do the best I can. Uh, First of all, there's Kevin B. who let me know in his uh, message that even though times were hard, he wanted to help out. So Kevin, thank you very much for that. Then there's John J. F., but it might be J. John F., because I think he explained to me in an email that Something had gone wonky with his name. Not, not his name legally, Name his name in the email. Either way, John J. F., J. John F., thank you very much. I think you have made several donations over the years. So, again, thanks. Uh, there's Darren M. I'm not sure where you're from. I apologize, Darren. There's Robert H. There's James M. from British Columbia, Canada. Then there's Robert H. from Dublin, Ireland. Then there is uh, Edward B., and Martin S. As far as my latest members, and for those of you who don't know, uh, for $5 a month, you can get two extra episodes. It's kind of like smaller or backstories of stuff that's going on in World War II. I think there's like somewhere around 170 episodes of that. If you sign up, you'll get access to all those. So anyway, uh, there's Gerardo R. from Brownsville, Texas, who has become a member recently. Thank you. Paul R. from Greenville, Ohio, Austin R. from Gardland, Texas, um, Arnie J. from Trondheim, Norway, Michael S. from Columbus, Ohio, another Michael S. from Southboro, Massachusetts, uh, George A. from Richmond, Virginia. Hey, George, local boy. How's it going? Uh, Joseph G. from Long Beach, California, and William L. from <laughs> Puyallup. Washington. I'm sorry, William. I'm just sure I butchered that one. Anyway, so I'm sure I've missed some people. I'll I'll look through my emails and I'll get the rest of you next time. But it's been a while. So I wanted to do that. Um, again, I do really do appreciate it. And I wanted to give a special thanks to Ramsey Harden, who has been doing a lot of research for me when it comes to the Arcadia Conference and to General Marshall in particular. So when I get to those episodes, just remember Ramsey's the one who did a lot of research, and I'm the one who's just reading. So again, Ramsey, thanks very much. Um, so I will see you as soon as I can with the next episode. And uh, we've almost got the allies out of Burma. Then I will do the Philippines. And unless I'm missing something else, then we go to the Arcadia conference. Uh, look at George Marshall, General Marshall, uh, because I'm fascinated by him. And then we'll pick her from there. And of course, then we get back to the Middle East and to Europe. So we're almost done with phase one of the Pacific and we'll just see how it goes. So again, everybody who listens, I, I thank you so much. Please, Be safe, do all the things you have to do, and and let's all get through this together. As always, take care, everyone.
1: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you.